0: not bring your Bible into the pulpit. There we go. This is why we have a pastoral assistant to help us through these tense and difficult moments. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 134. Thank you, Josiah. Let's stand together and let's sing this psalm. It's a short psalm. It's a brief psalm, but it's a a really sweet one. Let's read it together. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to think about this short and sweet psalm this morning. It's a psalm I think you'll see as we study it where there's mutual blessing going on. The people of God are blessing their ministers and the ministers are blessing the people of God. And as I studied this psalm this week, I thought about a special Sunday that I experienced when I was a college student in Los Angeles. I attended, it was a member of Grace Community Church, which is pastored by Dr. John MacArthur. Many of you would know him and his ministry. Um, There was a special Sunday during my sophomore year where we as a church corporately celebrated uh, his 30th anniversary of ministry at the church as a pastor. It was really a, a sweet day. It was the congregation expressed their love for him. There were uh, there were special music. There were videos that highlighted uh, the faithfulness of his ministry for 30 years in that church. There were testimonies of the impact that his ministry had made, both in that particular local church and then also more broadly in evangelicalism. And I remember James Montgomery voice, uh, James Montgomery voice, who had a very powerful, deep, kind of gravelly, excellent preacher's voice, and he preached a sermon that was a sermon of encouragement on the occasion talked about justification by faith, reminded us of this central central aspect of the gospel. In short, it was a really joyful day as the church together celebrated God's goodness to that church and sought to honor and celebrate their pastor's faithful service. As I sat there this morning, or that morning, it struck me that, that Grace Community Church really loved their pastor, and it struck me that their pastor really loved the church. And so there was, again, there was this mutual blessing that was occurring as the The congregation was seeking to bless and encourage this pastor who had blessed them so faithfully for so many years, and I'm sure that that was an encouragement to Dr. MacArthur, and I'm sure that it spurred him on to continue the ministry that he's had, and now he's been serving in that role for more than 50 years. I thought about that this week as I studied this psalm, again, because I see in this psalm kind of a mutual blessing occurring between the people of God who are encouraging and spurring on and blessing their ministers and then the priest and the Levites who then bless their people as well. And then you'll notice at kind of the very end, we're going to notice that that mutual blessing that's occurring, it overflows in worship to God, and that's the ultimate point of Psalm 134, that all that we do in encouraging and blessing one another should lead us to praise and worship God. So that's just a brief overview of what we'll see from this passage this morning. Uh, we are concluding our study in the Psalm of Ascents. These are psalms that the people of Israel would have sung together as they ascended to Jerusalem on their way to the festival. And even in the festival, they would have sung these psalms. We've, uh, as a church over the past seven years, studied about a third of the psalms, including now all of these Song of Ascents. And so we trust that we're going to be able to continue to study the book of Psalms for many years to come. But as we come to this final psalm this morning, Psalm 134, Just want to give you a little bit of background about it. We actually don't know a lot about the background. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. We do know that it's the second shortest psalm in the Psalter. So following Psalm 117, it's a very brief psalm. And yet, despite its brevity, Psalm 134 has a lot to teach us about uh, relationships between pastors and members of a church, how we should relate to one another, how the people of God and their ministers should relate to one another. And this psalm also gives us a very fitting conclusion to the psalm of ascents this morning. Uh, I love how Charles Spurgeon kind of set the scene to help us understand what was going on. Listen as I read what he said in his Treasury of David. uh, As he sets the scene of this final psalm and the way it would have concluded their festival, he wrote this, The pilgrims are going home and are singing the last song in their psalter. They leave early in the morning before the day has fully commenced, for the journey is long for many of them. While yet the night lingers, they're on the move, and as soon as they are outside the gates, they see the guards upon the temple wall and the lamps shining from the windows of the chambers which surround the sanctuary. Therefore, moved by the sight, they chant a farewell to the perpetual attendants upon the holy shrine. Their parting exhortation arouses the priest to pronounce upon them a blessing out of the holy place." This benediction contained in the third verse. The priest is good to say, you have desired us to bless the Lord, and now we pray the Lord to bless you. So let's keep that background in mind as we study the psalm this morning. We're going to study the psalm using two points, two points this morning. God's people should bless their pastors. We're going to see that in verses one and two. And then second, we're going to see that pastors should bless God's people. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 together. We see that first point. Pastors should bless, excuse me, God's people should bless their pastors. And keep in mind again, As Spurgeon is telling us, the the pilgrims are now departing, and they're going to leave this final exhortation, this final encouragement to the priest and the Levites on the wall of the temple. Here's what it says in verses 1 and 2. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place, and bless the Lord. Now let's look at this encouragement just a little bit more, because first you see that they're talking to particular servants. And who are these servants? Well, as we said, these are the priests. These are the priests who've been called by God to have a special place of ministry in the temple. They would have offered sacrifices to God. They would have prayed to God on behalf of the people ministering in that way in the temple. And then there are also a group of servants known as the Levites. And the role of the Levites were, were to care for the practical needs of the temple, and also to lead the people of God in worship and song and praise when they gather together and also to sing to the Lord as well throughout the year. And I want you to notice that the ministry of the priests and the Levites was continual. So it was year-round, but it wasn't just year-round. Notice as you look at verse 1, it's also day and night. They worship before the Lord continually. The psalmist says there, "...who stand by night in the house of the Lord." In this way, God was not only worshipped when the pilgrims gathered together, but He was worshipped continually. He was worshipped all year round. He was even worshipped day and night. And so what did the people of Israel encourage the servants of the Lord to do? Well, they encouraged them to serve faithfully, to think about what they were doing as they served the Lord, to pay attention that their worship would be zealous, that their worship would be diligent that they would honor the Lord appropriately. That's the encouragement that they're giving. The people say, come, bless the Lord. They want these priests and Levites to worship God with a full heart. What does it mean to bless the Lord? We use that word bless a lot, but let's just kind of think about it. What does it mean to bless the Lord? Well, it means to think well of the Lord and then to speak well of the Lord. It means to call to mind all the goodness of God and let that overflow in spoken praise of God. It's to thank him for who he is and for what he's done. It's not just merely uttering words. It involves the heart, and that's what's so important for us as the people of God to remember that true worship, true blessing of God, it involves the heart. That we would delight in God, that we would reverence him, that we would admire him, that we would rejoice in him. And then as you look at verse 2, I want you to notice that this fervent praise is also to be mixed with fervent prayer. Verse 2, the people say, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. In ancient Israel, the the posture of lifting up your hands in prayer was common. That's how they prayed. And that's what the people of Israel wanted the priests and Levites to do. So they prayed to God. They wanted there to be fervency there. They wanted there to be focus there as they raised their hands towards the sanctuary, towards the holy place of the temple. And again, all of this speaks of intense worship. So it's very easy for us to come on a Sunday morning and be tired and just kind of go through the motions, and yet that's not what you see in this passage. Here they're encouraging the priests and Levites who continually serve the Lord to do so fervently, joyfully, blessing Him for who He is. So they're departing Jerusalem now. The festival has come to an end, but they know that these priests and Levites are going to be serving the Lord throughout the year, and they want them to do that good work diligently and well. Let's look at these verses. Let's just make two applications. One just kind of more direct for us. The first application is that God's people should serve the Lord diligently and worship the Lord fervently. Again, in verse 1 and 2, that's what they're encouraging the priests and Levites to do, to have their worship be authentic and real and heartfelt and focused and diligent and zealous. And why would they want that? Well, because God is worthy because God's glorious. Because God is a great king who's worthy of great praise. And that's what these verses do. They really highlight the reality that our God is worthy of great praise. So God did not want his priests to offer injured or blemished sacrifices. He didn't want his priests to just kind of mumble prayers. God didn't want his Levites to be lazy in their service. He didn't want to do poorly as they sing songs of praise to God. And so the people of Israel encouraged the priests and Levites to worship the Lord well, diligently, zealously, fervently, and that's a good reminder for us because every time we gather together as a church, God wants that same thing from us. You now we'd be offering acceptable acts of praise to Him, that our hearts would be engaged in it. God cared about how His priests and Levites worshiped Him. Brothers and sisters, God cares about the way that we worship Him when we gather together as a church as well. Our God is a glorious King who is worthy of such praise. And we need to remember, I think this is significant, because you think of priests and Levites, it's kind of Old Testament stuff. We need to remember that in Christ we become priests unto God. And so now we offer sacrifices of praise to our God, sacrifices of prayer to our God. That's how we worship Him, and that's who we are in Christ. We are priests unto God. So we should sing to the Lord with joyful hearts. Or... We should sing to the Lord with sad hearts, but with genuine hearts. We should be singing to the Lord to worship Him and to honor Him. We shouldn't let our minds wander in prayer. That's so easy to do, isn't it? Just we're, we're praying, but it's so easy just to think about something else. But instead, no, we should really focus our hearts and we should pray to our God. We should serve one another cheerfully. Why should we serve one another cheerfully in the church? Well, we learn in the Bible because every act of service done to another believer is done unto the Lord. And he's the one who's honored by it. And he's the one who will one day repay us for it. And we should reverence his word as we study it together. So vital to the life of this church that we'd understand that God has always built up his people through his word. And so we take it seriously and we study it reverently and we study it joyfully and with thanksgiving because our God has seen fit to speak to us. So whether that's corporately when we gather together or, or when we meet in community groups or when we meet up with Another brother or sister with another sister studying God's Word together? Well, we should be studying God's Word with reverence in our hearts because our God is great and glorious, and He doesn't want the leftovers of our lives. He deserves first place. As we worship Him, we should give Him first place in our hearts. He deserves our best worship. There's a second application we should make, and that's this. God's people should bless their pastors. That sounds somewhat... Self-serving, doesn't it? But it's true. And as I thought about it this week, and we're going to go into the application a little bit more, but as I just thought about it a little, uh, a little bit, um, Lord willing, I'll continue to serve here as a pastor for decades. But you know, I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. And the Lord may bring some other brother in to be kind of the primary preaching pastor in this church, and and that person will need you to bless him. And Ron and Scott, who are pastors in our church. They need you to bless them as well. What do I mean by bless? By bless, I mean encourage, exhort, help. That's what the people of Israel were doing. Do you see how they're stirring them up? Do you see how they're exhorting them? Do you see how they're encouraging the priests and the Levites to serve the Lord well? Well, we need the same thing. Pastors in the church need the same thing. So church members should encourage their pastors in that same way. To diligently fulfill the ministry that God has entrusted to us. So in our church, we currently have three pastors, uh, Scott Mallett, Ron Stoll, and myself. And here's the thing about each one of us, we're weak. And we have flaws and we have gaps. And it's possible for us to grow weary. And it's possible for us to become discouraged. You see, we're, we're, we're not able to do... All the work of the minister on our own, we're not supposed to. Actually, the way the body ministers is that everyone ministers together. And the pastors need others to come along. And sometimes what we need as pastors is just people who will come along and bless and encourage and help us. I want us to think through just maybe five ways that you can do that. That you can serve, bless, encourage your pastors. First, pray for your pastors. The work of the pastor is impossible We cannot, we cannot save people. We cannot make people like Jesus. In our own power, we cannot defeat the schemes of Satan as he plots against this church. If anything's going to happen, it's going to happen because the Lord God himself does it, and that's why you must pray for us. So pray that God would fill us with with the Spirit, that we would be Spirit-filled men, whose life brings forth good fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And and pray that God would help each one of us love the Lord Jesus more. You know, it's one of the desires that every genuine believer has, that we would love Jesus more. We do love him. We love him truly. We want to love him more. That's true of pastors too. So pray that we would love him more. And pray that God would protect us from temptation so that God would be honored by our ministry here in the church. I often think of uh, what Charles Spurgeon would say when people asked him the secret of of his influential ministry. He'd say this, my people, pray for me. So pray for us. Pray that God would help us. Second, encourage your pastors. Here's the thing. Again, we're weak and ministry is difficult and Satan is strong. And so it's very easy for us to become discouraged, and, and here's the thing about Satan. He's actually a master discourager. He does this in our life, and he does it in your life as well. There can be a hundred good things going on. There could be a hundred blessings all around us, but Satan is so good at getting us just to focus on the one or two things that aren't going well. And so he just brings in discouragement and temptation to be discouraged. And, and sometimes what pastors need are just people who will come around them and just just. Point us to God's goodness. Just help us to see the things that we're not seeing. Point out the way God's at work in this person's life or through this ministry or or through uh, the ministry that Ron or Scott or I are doing in the church. We're not asking for flattery. We don't need that. We do need people that can help us see reality correctly because Satan wants to distort it. And help us to see what God is doing. And I just want to honor you here because you're an encouraging church. You know, hardly a week goes by that someone doesn't send some kind of encouragement or prayer or just, you know, come alongside and just say, hey, this was encouraging. And that's that's such a good thing, such a sweet thing, and it's such a blessing. I know that Ron and Scott would echo this as well. It's such a blessing to be a pastor in this church. We're so grateful for that. Third, help your pastors. We already kind of hinted at this, but... Ron and Scott and I, we don't have all the spiritual gifts necessary to make Christ Fellowship be the kind of church that God wants this church to be. And so if Christ Fellowship is going to be the church that the Lord Jesus desires for it to be, then everyone, everyone has to minister their spiritual gifts so that the body will be built up and encouraged and strengthened. And that's that's a challenge right now because we're all dealing with COVID and trying to figure out what we're able to do and not able to do, and things are kind of slowed down right now. We understand that, and yet The the general principle is true that the the church works appropriately when everyone, everyone pitches in and ministers and serves. And we appreciate the way you do that as well. Uh, We're so grateful for the way that so many of you look for opportunities to bless others, pray for others, serve others. I'm not going to use the names, but I was just visiting with a couple last night, and they told me about a sweet older couple in the church who, when they found out that they just had a baby, came by and brought them groceries, took them out to lunch, and just just loved on them. I would have never known that that had happened had I not just spent time with that couple last night. And I don't think that that's a rare thing in our church. I think, by God's grace, that that's a common thing, and I think that that's a good thing. I think that we should continue to minister to one another like that. So help us. And then there's this fourth, hold your pastors accountable. It's a dangerous thing to be a spiritual leader in a church. Satan has his eyes on pastors. Satan is trying to trip up pastors. Why? Because he knows if he can can strike the shepherd, well, the sheep will be scattered, and that's what he does. And so he uses lust to trip up pastors, and he uses the love of money to trip up pastors, and he uses pride and arrogance to trip up pastors, and he does it so effectively all the time. And here's the thing. One of the scarce things about sin is that it blinds us. So that I have such clear vision into your life and the areas where you struggle, but there's, there's things about me that I just can't see. And so when you see sin in my life, or Scott's life, or Ron's life, what you will, the way you'll bless us is by humbly coming alongside of us and just kind of approaching us and addressing that issue with us so that we can see it and we can turn away from it. Because we want, we want to be a church that's marked by holiness because we want God to dwell among us in power. and We want His name to be glorified in this place. Well, those are four ways anyways that we can that, that you can bless or encourage your pastors. That's what you see in verse 1 and 2. You see the people encouraging, exhorting the priests and Levites. It reminds us that the people of God should do the same thing in our day. There's a second point that I want us to see this morning from verse 3. Pastors should bless God's people. So verse 3 is a response. This is the response of the priests and Levites. So the the pilgrims are departing, going back to their home. But now, now the priests and Levites, they bless the people in return. They say, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Well, we talked about what it meant to bless God. What does it mean to be blessed by God? What does that mean? What is it that these priests and Levites were asking the Lord to do for these people? Well, the essence of blessing is to be under the watchful care and protection of God. It's God walking beside us. It's God guiding us. It's God protecting us. I I think you see the essence of that blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and 25. This was the, the words of blessing that the Lord commanded Aaron to put on the people. The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So to be blessed is to dwell in the presence of God. It's to experience the the light of God's face shining upon your life, guiding you and protecting you in this life and then forevermore. Because we'll be walking in His presence forever and ever and ever, and such blessing is infinitely valuable, and that's what the priests and Levites were praying that God would do for the people of Israel, that He would pour out His blessing on them in this way, that God would shower His blessing on them from Zion, and Zion is is Jerusalem, and that's kind of the the place where the Lord dwelt in in a particular way among the people of Israel, and it's this beautiful picture of blessing being just kind of showered down, like rain falling across the land covering the people from the the northern tribes of Asher and Naphtali down to the southern tribe of Judah, just covering them with the blessing of God. And then notice in the second part of verse three that God is able to bless. Do you see that? Who is God? Well, he's the one who made heaven and earth. As you read through the Psalms, you'll see that refrain over and over. God is the one who made heaven and earth. Why? Because it reminds us that our God is glorious and powerful reminds us that our God is a God who not only desires to bless his people, but he's a God who is able to bless his people. If the sovereign God who created all things determines to bless you, friend, you will be blessed in these ways that we're talking about. Well, there's a lot we could say from this, but let me just make two observations. First, just kind of the point, pastors should bless God's people. I love the picture you have of the priests and Levites just calling on God to do what God can only, only God can do, which is to pour out His blessing on the people. It's a reminder that pastors should be doing the same thing in our days. It's a beautiful picture of that. Now, false teachers do not bless the people. They use them. They take their money and they buy lavish homes and personal airplanes. But such men and women are wolves. They're not shepherds. They're wolves who harm the flock. But pastors are shepherds. There's to be under shepherds, under the chief shepherd who is Christ, and so they're to lay down their life for the flock like the Lord Jesus did. That's a call that pastors have been given, that pastors would strive to bless God's people. How can they do that? Well, pastors should bless God's people with their words. Uh, in other words, encouraging and exhorting and strengthening. It would be blessing through a word. So God commanded Aaron to verbally put his blessing on the people there, as we read just a minute ago in Numbers chapter 6. So pastors should regularly speak words of blessing into the lives of God's people. What might that sound like? Well, I love this example from John Newton. Here's how John Newton blessed a, a friend who was ill. He said this. He said, I wish we may never learn, excuse me, I wish we may learn never to think ourselves either safe or happy. But when we are beholding the glory of Christ in the light of faith, in the looking glass of the gospel, to view him as God manifest in the flesh, as all and all in himself and all and all for us, this is cheering, this is strengthening, this makes hard things easy and bitter things sweet. And then he says this, this includes all I can wish for you, that you may grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To know Jesus is the shortest description of true grace. To know Jesus better is the surest mark of growth in grace. To know Jesus perfectly is eternal life. Now, friends, those are encouraging words. And he wants this this brother or sister to experience that. Just blessing them with his words. Pastors should also bless God's people by their diligent efforts to serve well, to lead the church diligently. So a holy, hardworking, prayerful pastor is a blessing to a church. It's uh, God's design, right? That The church leadership would be holy, would be set apart unto God. God's eyes will be upon such pastors, and He will help them in their ministry. At the same time, the example of diligent, holy, hardworking pastors will spur on others to follow that example, right? So a prayerful pastor will often see the church become more prayerful. A pastor who's faithful to share the gospel with non-believers will often see more and more people in the flock also sharing their faith in the community. A pastor who reverences God's word will often help his people reverence God's word. And brother and sister, this is the only reliable source of truth in this fallen, broken world. You look anywhere else, you'll see lies and distortions. But this is a firm foundation. For our lives. Well, there's another way that pastors should bless their people, and that's specifically to pray for their people. That's what you see most especially in verse 3. You see these priests and Levites, they're, they're offering this blessing, but really this blessing is a prayer, asking God that He would come and make His face shine upon the people and do good to them. Why should pastors pray for God's blessing on the church? Again, because unless God blesses the church, nothing will happen. Nothing will happen, significant. The spiritually dead will not be raised to spiritual life. Spiritual infants will not grow up into mature manhood or womanhood in Christ. People will not be rescued from slavery to besetting sins. The people of God will not be heavenly minded. Such a challenge for us in America, isn't it? Still so many good things, still so many comforts, and yet we're supposed to set our minds on things above where Christ is at the right hand of the Father, And the church won't experience the unity and peace of the Spirit. But if God sends His blessing on a church, the church will be vibrant. The church will be increasing in zeal and holiness and joy and and the passive graces of patience and endurance. Something we need so much right now is the fruit of the Spirit of patience, that God would help us in that. We need that so much right now. And if God blesses a church, the church will be like that. Well, Here's another observation I want us to make, and that's this. That salvation is the greatest blessing. Salvation is the greatest possible blessing we can receive from God. So we just talked a second ago about what it would be like for our church, and we trust it is and trust it's growing in this way, but for us to be vibrant and, and useful and spiritually powerful, we want that. It's a good thing to be used of God to do good works to bring glory to Him, and yet that's not the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is not to be used of God, to do something. The greatest blessing is to be saved. It is to be forgiven for all of our sins. It is to possess salvation. Jesus calls it eternal life. that He gives us now. He gives it to us now. The Lord Jesus reminded his disciples of this in Luke 10. He He had sent out 72 of his disciples throughout Israel, and they're going, and he granted them power and authority over demons. And so they're healing people, and they're casting out demons, and they come back, and they're so excited. They're talking about all the things that they had seen and all the things that they had done. And then the Lord Jesus, he's excited with them, but then he takes them aside, and he teaches them this in verses 19 and 20. He said, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, And over all the power of the enemy, nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice that you seem to be doing great things for God. Rejoice that God knows you and he has saved you in Christ. That's the greatest blessing greatest blessing is to be saved by God from the penalty our sins deserve. So how does someone receive that blessing? Well, that takes us to the very center of our faith. It takes us to the gospel. You see, at its heart, Christianity is not a religion about what we need to do for God. That's every other religion in the world tells us what we need to do for God. Christianity tells us what God has done for us in Christ to rescue us from our sins. It's completely the opposite. It's this amazing reality that Christianity is all about what God has done. It's this joyful proclamation of what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches hard things. It teaches us that we were born under the curse of sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were put in this perfect world. They were given the command to to be fruitful and multiply and fill it, but they were given one command, do not eat of the fruit of this one tree. They decided to be better to live for themselves and for God, so they rebelled against God's command, and that one sin, that one transgression, has led to all the brokenness that we see in this world. The curse of sin fell upon this world as a result, and we sinned in Adam and Eve, and because we come from them, we've inherited this same, uh, this same nature, whereby instead of living for God and loving Him and serving Him, instead we, we live for ourselves. And so we don't love God, serve God the way we should, but instead we tend to just try to make ourselves as happy as we possibly can. And we act like all of life is about me and what I need to do to promote myself and be happy and satisfied for myself. And it leads us to do all kinds of things that we know are wrong and it leads us to harm others as well. It's rebellion against God, and and that's what sin is. It's rebellion against God. It's rebellion against His command. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone sitting here this morning has sinned against God. We are all in desperate need because if we were left to ourselves, there would be no way for us to stand in the presence of a holy God. There'd be no way for us to make up for the things that we have done. The good news of Christianity is that God is able to take those who are under the curse of sin and set them free set them free. And not just that, but bless them. Make his face to shine upon them. And that's what he did in Jesus. God the Father sent his Son into the world. The eternal Son of God became a man. Jesus Christ, Jesus lived this life that was marked by such amazing love and kindness and service, just blessing others continually, giving to others continually. And then when the time was right, this Jesus who came to die, laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sinful people. On the cross, he, he was treated as if he had himself becomes sin. He bore in himself the wrath of God against the sin of all who had turned from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then he rose from the dead. And now there's this message. There's a way for you, friend, to be blessed, and it's not by your self-effort. It's not by doing enough good things to make God like you. It's by putting your hope and your trust in Jesus alone. It's by turning from your sins and embracing Christ. We'd encourage you to do that this morning. That you would put your hope in him and in him alone and in nothing else. That is the way to be truly blessed by God. That is the way to be saved. Here's the wonder of the gospel. If I could put it in just a sentence, I'd say this. Jesus, the blessed one, was cursed so that we, the cursed ones, might be blessed. That's the gospel. And that's offered to you this morning. If you will hope in him. So do that. If you haven't turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, do that now. Do that this morning. And God will save you. Well, as we conclude our sermon this morning, there's one other, one other thing that I remember from that morning in Grace community. Uh, I remember as the church was seeking to bless their pastor and the pastor being encouraged, I remember God was there in power. It was a unique and special morning. I remember this congregation of about 3,000 people singing, "I sing the mighty power of God." and it's like God just came down. and you just felt it. You just felt His presence. And that's the final thing I'd have us to see from the psalm this morning, is that this mutual blessing of one another, it has an ultimate purpose, and that ultimate purpose is so that God would be worshipped rightly, so that God would be praised, so the people of Israel encouraged the priests and the Levites to serve the Lord well because they wanted God to be worshipped appropriately. The priests and Levites, they prayed God's blessing on the people because they wanted the people to bless and praise God for what He would do in their lives, and this applies to us as well there should be a mutual blessing in this church so that it would overflow in praise to God. So as you, Christ Fellowship, bless, encourage your pastors and help us, and as we seek to bless and serve you as well, we trust that God will be worshiped through what happens here. And may He do that. May He do that in this church in a special way that we would would rightly honor Him as a people. And let's pray.